What's up, everybody? Before we get into this episode of the Boyle and Rojas podcast, we just want to give you a warning about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. While we don't give direct spoilers in the movie, there are several scenes that we allude to or certain plot points that we kind of get into a little bit that may alter your viewing of the movie. So if you haven't watched it yet, we definitely recommend checking it out. We think it's worth seeing. We certainly understand, and you can stop the podcast now. If you've already seen the movie, enjoy the show. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Miles, put it there. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Hey, you're Rick Dalton. Don't forget it. It's the Bull and Rojas podcast. Actually, episode 97, for real this time. Not like last time we said it. No. I'm Nick Rojas. He's Nick Boyle. What did we just see? We just saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The next addition to Quentin Tarantino's filmography the as a film director. The ninth film Quentin Tarantino, according yes. to him. What's he supposed to do, 10? He said he was doing 10, but I mean, I don't see that guy... A lot. Uh, I know now the stipulation he might not, but I hope he's a rebel and, he's, and ends it. And they said the Kill Bill Stick counts as it. one movie, and but that's two volumes. And then yeah. there's Death Proof. Lights Camera Pod was doing uh, coming up when they review it. They're gonna do top. Well, they're gonna rank. That's the Quentin's episode that's movies. gonna come out. Uh, well, I hope maybe Friday. I don't know when I'm gonna. Uh, yeah, it comes out Thursday. No, no, it comes out Thursday. But I'm saying this podcast is gonna come out probably Friday. Oh. So in, go check it out. It though. hasn't come out yet when we're recording this podcast. But by the time you hear it. The podcast that isn't ours that we were telling you to go listen to <laughs> will come out. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back on yeah, track. Quentin Tarantino. Give the synopsis. Let me give the synopsis. I'm getting a lot of synopsis synopses later. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood hey. is about Rick Dalton and his stunt double, Cliff Bowler? Something. Anyway. Bolin? Cliff something. I'm going anyway, to uh, I need the fact checking department to look it up. Anyway, Rick Dalton. Booth. Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth. Thank you. Great Kill game. Him. Anyway, so he is a kind of on his way down Who's television who? and somewhat movie star, but more television star. He's kind of on his way down. He was in a lot of westerns, and he's an actor who does a lot of stuff. Lives in Hollywood in the early 1969, coming to the end of the 60s. Just to clarify, Rick Dalton is Leonardo DiCaprio, and oh. Cliff Booth is Brad Pitt. That's so right, Leo yeah. is the one who's on his downfall. He's kind of in a tough place, and Rick is his like best bud, biggest supporter, and also his Rick, stunt friend. R- no, Rick is not the same I'm guy. sorry, not Rick. I yeah. messed it up. Cliff. Yes. Cliff is Rick's. <laughs> so Cliff is, wow, let's start this over. Okay, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Rick, Rick, Dal- Dalton. Rick Dalton. The one and only. Brad Cliff Pitt Booth is was Cliff Brad Booth. Booth. Yeah. <laughs> we both said it opposite. Wow, oh, whatever. Man. This we is got it. Stereo. This is an episode. Yeah, so anyway, so it's early 1969. Rick's think, going down. Think Rick's starting to go down a little bit. In We're not going to give away any of the cameos in this. We're not going to give away because I didn't know the people were in, that were in this were in this except yeah. for Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Margot Robbie, who plays Sharon Tate. Now, the reason why you bring up Sharon Tate is that's another storyline. It's basically three storylines that are kind of just like kind of intersecting around Hollywood in the late 60s. And Sharon Tate is coming off this run where she's been in some good movies. Her star is rising up. She just moved into, I believe that's Beverly Hills. Um, 
and yeah, and that's where Rick lives and Cliff drives him. Now, we don't want to give away any spoilers. Now, if you've seen any of the promotional material of this movie, you know that Charles Manson appears in the commercials. Even if you don't know that, you kind of see him relatively early. I would recommend, if you haven't done so already, do a little bit of research on the Manson family and that cult. It'll help out. I think I think it'll help. I think, uh, Michaela, quickly, as someone who didn't read that, and Julia, maybe you can speak to it, you can probably attest to this. If you didn't know that going in, some of the stuff in the first two-thirds of the movie are kind of not interesting because you're kind of like, what does this even mean? Yep, definitely. I'm, like, reading the article that Rojas sent us right now, and it's clicking so much more. You have to read the article. You should definitely link it in the podcast. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, the, I, I knew some of it coming in, so I felt like you never shared the article with me in time, but it's all right. I feel like reading I think, it afterwards. I think the standard, I, yeah, what you, what'd you know coming in? Okay, so no Because this will be a spoiler. Just this, that Charles yeah. is, you know, a killer, and he does his thing, and it's it's he does mass murders um, and homicides, right? He, right. so. With a cult? His cult carried out. But he it, never got in trouble for so it no of he them? so he did so that's the thing so that's what's confusing is yeah. he's a head guy and he's a guy everyone knows about and everyone just assumes he's a guy who killed Sharon Tate and her friends but he's the guy who led the cult for a number of years and then finally told his cult members to go, go and go and kill these okay. people at this house okay um, but if you read the article it 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 fills in those broad strokes a little bit more so it's interesting because that's a it's a subplot. Like for for a majority of the movie, you know, you're yeah. more focused they're kind on of, they're Leo's kind of in the, character. They're kind of in the background and Rick and which, their relationship. Yes, and their so, broship. So, <laughs> so we're not going to give away the last third of this movie because no. it's no. it's really fun. Yeah, it, all we need to know is that's when the Tarantino ness of this movie totally really comes out. Okay, so I'm not going to say anything more. But fine, without giving away, I guess without uh, we're not going to spoil anything. No, we're not. But just quickly, that was pretty awesome, huh? It was. Wild, but you know what? It needed to pick up, so I was glad it did. You could tell the crowd was almost like ready to explode because they so badly wanted for the whole time. Not Everyone to, again, was not like, to give "When's anything? it gonna happen? When's, when's it gonna happen?" Not, you know, when's something gonna happen? Yeah, you know what I mean? It, because, and we'll get back into the first two thirds of the movie later on. But the crowd was just like borderline cheering when it when it goes down. I mean, you saw me; I nearly jumped out of my seat, and yeah. I had my first holler in seconds. It was like, it was. Awesome. And then I felt that the whole crowd got into it and everyone was cheering together and everyone was yelling about it and like, yeah, and like people were super into it. And I just found that the last third was very powerful, made it, you know, made the movie come to a nice conclusion where for like you were saying, you want to revisit the first two thirds. Yeah. First two thirds are a little I'll, slow. I'll get into that in a we'll second. Get, yeah, we'll get I'll, I'll, I do want to say one last thing about the final third of the movie. Okay. Which again... We're not going to give it away, but if you've seen other Tarantino movies, you know that he kind of likes to rewrite history a little bit. Yeah. So that's all we're going to say. Fun stuff. Uh, it was kind of like one of those things where you expected it to nice. rewrite history. Um, I know, right? <laughs> you expected it to rewrite history. You don't know. You didn't know how, and that's the fun of it. So again, yeah. that's all we'll say about that. Anything else about the last year of the movie? Pretty good. Pretty good overall. Yeah. You thought it, you, did we all think that? Like, could we all come to a conclusion? It, it was good. It helped. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So, this is, so, sorry, Michaela. I want to say the first two-thirds of the movie, like you said, it, this is one of those movies where you're like, I'm liking this movie. But if I was going to talk to a friend, it would be like, all right, how many movies do you watch in a, in a year? Because if you watch, like, less than ten movies in a year, this is not a movie I'd recommend to you. And I, I don't want that to be me coming across as like, oh, you don't really like movies, you wouldn't respect it. It's like, no, I, I get it. First two-thirds of this movie, it's for people who are, who 
see a ton of movies and can appreciate something that's way slower. Yes. Because this movie sucked. To me, this should have been almost like the Hateful Eight when it was released in the 65 millimeter. I never, well, I saw Hateful Eight after the fact. It's still on Netflix and it's very worth the watch, Nick. You'll really appreciate it. It's the slow burn and then the last, again, boom, you know? But my thought is, is, is to agree with you, is that I agree in the sense that if you and I were going to the Avon Theater, this is a great movie to see, you know, in an old-style theater. It would put more accent and more um, culture into it, I guess. A I know more what you're saying. There, you it, know what I mean? Because like, it felt like this movie should have been seen in like kind of like a smoky theater. Yeah, kind like of I like, wanted to be like, like a grainy slums. I want to be miserable sitting the whole time. Right, yeah, wooden you know? seats, yeah, exactly. Like Front coughing. row. <laughs> now, we, I'm not going to bring anything to the table in terms of Tarantino and his biography and what his life's like yeah. that the listeners of this podcast probably don't already know. But I guess to kind of give a little bit of context to this, Michaela, um, Quentin Tarantino gets a lot. He used to work in a video store in the 80s, and that's what made him really love movies. Now, the kind of movies he really loved, he loved a lot of movies, but he got a lot of inspiration from this uh, cinematic movement called the French New Wave. And he got he loved a lot of movies called spaghetti westerns made by these Italian movie people. And that's kind of a factor in this movie. That so he loved those style movies. He loved spaghetti westerns made by Italians. Uh, Sergio Leone. So it's funny cool you say thing. that because I that's one thing I really like about them is that him, sorry, is that um in his movies, there's so many underlying... Oh, so many things, right? You know, classic Tarantino things. And now now it's funny you said underlying because this movie is kind of like a... In forget, your face. Forget the underlying part. I'm just going to straight up just show you show things. show you everything. He's I'm going to show you, hey, this is the time period. Here are the box of Wheaties in the corner. Here's the, here are the, the movies, mac and cheese. Here's the movies they were watching. Here yeah. are the TV shows the they were watching. T- yeah, totally. It's a barrage. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it is Hollywood through and through. These are the things... I, I have to assume that there's a lot of things in here that he actually liked. That he wanted to put in there. Yeah. Um, now, Tarantino wasn't an adult in 1969. I want to... I don't really know how old he is. Uh, I'm assuming he was... I think he's in his 30s. It, in the, no, no. No, not no, 30s. No. Wow, I'm sorry. That was not right. T- Quentin Tarantino was born in 63, so he was 6 in 1969. <laughs> I wasn't even close. No, but that's fine. So this isn't coming from personal experience, this movie, but it's more of an appreciation of a time and place. And that's really... The first two-thirds of this movie are really... I, it's a cliche word to say, but this movie feels like a real love letter to Hollywood, and I really thought it was cool. Uh, what do you think about lighting, camera angles? What do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, let's talk movie? about this, and then we'll finally get back to uh, maybe First some thing. analysis of. Uh, Leo and of Brad Pitt. Okay. But let's get to a little bit of that lighting and everything. So the first third, of the first two thirds of the movie, I feel like that's where this kind of ties in the most with the camera angles and the lighting. And I, I like the scene when, when Hollywood came to life at night. I like that. I appreciated so that. Cool. I appreciated the camera angles where it's not your typical first person. It's like side hip first person. That was kind of cool in a couple of the scenes. Yeah, a lot of like following people as yeah, they walk. So I, I appreciated the scene with Brad Pitt in the car. And it was almost like, Oh, why is there so much? Like, we get it. You're driving, but like, he takes the time to make sure you don't miss a beat. You see like everything that Pitt's seeing, and you and your, or should I say, Cliff? Uh, you're seeing everything that Cliff is seeing, as well as understanding. Like, he's hearing multiple songs. He's got to drive. He has this long experience to this work every day and yeah. and home and stuff. And I just. Most people, I feel like, would look at that in, in a movie like this and be like, oh, you're just wasting time. Sure, could you have cut it out for sure? 
But again, I think a lesser a, director would have cut it out. And it's a, yeah. but this is Quentin Tarantino. This now, is what he does. Yeah, because you're absolutely right, Boyle. To him taking the time to follow Cliff driving around. First off, one, the way the like everything kind of feels like it's got that haze kind of like the colors aren't too poppy it feels kind of gritty a little bit and him following him as he's walking along to the car and everything all those shots like that I again cliche but you really feel like you spent like time in Hollywood in this movie you really felt like you were there you're almost your character now let's analyze the title once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. I love that it's like, all right, but like you were saying before about he likes to alter the way reality actually goes. So it's almost his way of saying like, well, in Hollywood, this terrible thing occurred, but I'm going to make a little bit of a fantasy. So what does every fantasy start with? We teach it in school once upon a time. I love that connection I like that. there. Yeah. And I, uh, you know what? That's a great point, Boyle, because that. that really opens it up to, it's, I guess, similar to what he did in Glorious Bastards. It's kind of, you're right. It's inviting the viewer to say like, this is a fantasy. Yeah. Take it for what it is. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you yeah. pleasurably enjoy something uh, for two hours and forty minutes. <laughs> so to kind of access it into the uh, character discussion of of Cliff yep. and Rick, uh, just one more thing I want to say that might be a little bit spoiler if you haven't seen the movie, but just the fact that we got straight up just like two long scenes of just that filming of that movie was so cool, like. Just, you felt like you're watching, all of a sudden you're just like, am I watching a movie in a movie right now? And then it's, then they do, you know what I mean? And yeah, they're like, they do the snap back to yeah. reality almost. And it's just like, it's like, oh, it's so cool. There, there was, was one scene that I almost got lost, and then all of a sudden it was, it was Brad Pitt back on the roof, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Good good effect there. I like that. I oh, like you're the talking you about the back. story of, in the of beginning. why he yeah. got, yeah. Well, because it was a scene and a scene and a scene. Well, Scene-ception. So, yeah, because then when they snap back to him, I'm like, oh, that's what they're showing. Because I was like, wait a minute, wasn't he getting ready for a Western? And it's like, oh, that's why. Not to give it away. No. But, um, yeah, no, the movie that Leo was in. It was cool to watch his movie being cause, made. Because, honestly, now I want to watch that movie. And that movie doesn't exist. I know. But you're just and, like, I want to watch it. It's just silly because you, you watch... Leo is, and what I loved about him being cast for that role is Leo takes every role and improvs things and he does things on the spot and that's what makes him such a great actor. And I love that he got praise in a fake movie for doing just that. And he was doing it in that movie. Hey, where'd that come from? I, I don't improv. Know, improv, man. Like, and he was like, oh, it was brilliant. And he got that, like, that's totally going to be a wicked famous gift from now well, on. That 100%, is, by the way. Oh, my dad tweeted it. I know. Already. No, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said, like, it's going to be a huge gift from he now on. He tweeted two gifts at me, and they're both from that scene. One of yeah. him smiling, and it's like, when yeah. he, he's like, because uh, we joked, Steve Crawford joked that we had already seen once upon a time in Hollywood, and my dad sent the gif of uh, Leo in that chair being like, <laughs> smiling with the gun. And then, and then when I said to my dad, I was like, no, I haven't seen it. And he then, said the other one of him just crying, biting his hand. And I was like, that is so well placed. I was so proud of him for putting uh, that he together. He nailed it. Shout but, out to you, dad. Let's talk about Leo nailing it. I mean, so do you want to talk he, about good acting? Great man? acting. The in this fact movie. that he even in a fake acting scenario is like doing that and and portraying sad and, and anger and happiness and and even he's sitting there and going line and and stuff like that like he, and he just, just showing that frustration. Oh, and all that, that he can't get his lines out and yelling it's at himself be hard in to the be mirror. An actor playing a per, I mean, an actor who isn't maybe as good or confident in themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much of that is stemming from his own personal experience. Well, Especially when there's, he's too. reading that book to that girl and he's talking about an actor kind of like who wants to be this guy who could tame the Broncos and he starts crying. And I'm <laughs> like, how much of that is, okay, him talking about his character, Rick Dalton, but how much is that Leo talking about Leonardo DiCaprio? Leonardo DiCaprio. 
Because people have said, you know, there was a time when he was in a downfall. Yeah. Well, he wasn't I'm, making anything that was, like, big. Well. And he maybe he felt personally in a slide. Because Leo is in his 40s now, and he's not getting any younger. And he's probably looking at that like, am I in the downswing? But, uh, and then know. Cliff playing. So, Cliff, man. So what a the, character. That backstory there, there is a famous story of a woman, Natalie, um, an actress named Natalie Woods who was on a boat with two, Christopher Walken and another person. Okay. It was back in, like, I think the 60s or 70s. She died, and no one got charged, and they never determined how she died. Oh, so that was why they used that? So that's why they used that. But I don't know if that's within the same time frame. But yeah. Still could be a reference to it. Yeah, exactly. Making so, connections. I don't so know. So his character just being, like, this just tough SOB. I wonder... So the Tarantino movies, you wonder, like, there is obviously going to be smarter people than us who can figure out the layers of this movie. Totally. But, but We're him, probably going to read great articles But him us. playing a stuntman to Leonardo DiCaprio, I wonder if that's kind of a metaphor for Leo showing up and basically being the lead guy that maybe Brad Pitt never got quite to be and that Leo got those roles. True. And Brad Pitt never got... I wonder if that's it. And this movie is like kind of like their... Kind of like Mia Culpa of being like, you know what, hey, like... We're in this together. I feel like this is one of those duos you've been dying for a solid movie from both them to be together and just see their chemistry. And it could not have worked better. And not for nothing. We all need a cliff in our lives. Yeah, and halfway through the movie you think, oh no, are they not going to be in another scene together? Because, you know, they're spending quite time apart and something sketchy was happening. And then when they get, then... You know, whenever you just the coast clear and they're back together, you're like, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I, I want to see more of them. And you did. And there was a voiceover in this movie that I believe was an actor that I don't want to give away because I didn't know that he was in this movie, so I don't want to give it away. Um, I was dying to know who that was. Uh, we'll talk about it off air. Yeah, because okay. I don't want I want to give it away. Yeah, no, don't uh, ruin we, it. We we posted and uh, we can kind of wrap up this podcast relatively quickly because it is ten fifteen. But we posted on the Boylan Ross podcast on Instagram. Um, we asked our fans, and again, follow us on Instagram. We asked, what is your favorite Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Or? Or, yeah. No, what's your, sorry, what's your favorite Brad Pitt movie? And what's your favorite Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Oh, okay. We're looking for, we're looking for answers to that. And, uh. Not a lot of people got back to us because not a lot of people get back to us sometimes. It's hard when <laughs> we post only a couple hours before the show. Yeah, we did it during like early in the day. We got more on we got more on Twitter, believe it or not. We got a lot more responses on Twitter. Yay! That's so, good. Andrew Tuttleman, my friend, said Ocean's Eleven. My brother Marcus said Ocean's Eleven. Respect. That that's a great yep. great Brad Pitt role. I mean, that's classic Brad Pitt right there. Uh, yep. Uh, Dan Masser, he does a podcast. He said Wolf of Wall Street for Leo and Moneyball for Brad Pitt. Mm. Michaela, what do you think? Of those movies. Which ones? Wolf of Wall Street and Moneyball. Oh my gosh, I've never seen Moneyball. I haven't either. <gasps> oh, really? Well, we know what we're yeah. watching next. So that's an Aaron Sorkin I, movie. I love Wolf of Wall Street. I think that's a great movie. Um, yeah. Well, I've seen it a lot, a few, like at least once a year I see that since it's come out. I've, the last, I own it. The last time I saw it was when I saw it in theaters. Really? Wow. Yeah, and I really liked it, but I was like, and you know what's sad about that movie is a lot of fraternity bros kind of took that to mean like thinking that Scorsese was glorifying that whole lifestyle when real the whole time he's condemning that lifestyle mm-hmm. but a lot of fraternity guys were like thinking like yeah Jordan Belfort I'm the Jordan Belfort of this street and, yeah. and it kind of like that was the downside of all that stuff um well, still a great did movie. anyone say uh Fight Club yet on, on Twitter no one has said Fight Club yet how about Meet Joe Black because that's usually one of his big ones too do you like did you like Meet Joe Black 
I haven't seen that since I was a kid. My that parents rented it one me. time, and I saw a scene of it. Yeah, and I was like, I don't get it. He's not real, but he is real. <laughs> no, Matt St. Jean said, got to be the departed for Leo. And he said he's a big fan of Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards. Boyle, I feel like you love The Departed. I love The Departed. I did. Um, I Truthfully, you know me. I love big movies like that, especially when it's in our, our home area. So right. to me, it's a big one. Have any of us here ever seen Catch Me If You Can? Jules Coco, have you ever seen I it? haven't seen that. I can't remember what it's I, if anything, I saw parts of it as a kid. I know that had um, someone else in it, too, besides Leo. Tom Hanks. Yes. That's who it was. That's a great duo. That's a great duo, too. And again, I've never seen it. Uh, my dad says a tie. Okay. At the Cookie Row House, he says it's a tie for Moneyball and Seven for his favorite Brad Pitt movie. A lot of people like Seven, too, so I've, never I, I've seen, not seen Never that. seen Seven, but that's, that's famous for the What's in the Box. Good. I know, I have to see that one, but uh, Kevin Spacey's canceled, so I don't know if we, have to, we get a chance to see that movie. I know. Um, for me, personally, my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio movie is Inception. Dude, me too. I, I, looked, I knew we were going to agree on this because it? I was yeah. like, when I saw Inception, and to this day, it is probably top five movies that I've ever liked. It's like, we all saw that together. DVD. Yeah. That uh, was a that movie. Was after I remember year. leaving with my jaw dropped. I was like, that was fantastic. I remember the theories that circled forever, and people were like, it'll come out which way it was. Yeah. To this day, they never released what it, what the actual exactly. ending is and which way it goes. Yep. It was totally up just for people to have their own interpretation, and I love that. To this day, people still interpret it. What about Brad Pitt? What's your favorite? So, my favorite Brad Pitt movie, man, you know, that one's tough for me, too. Uh, I rewatched. For the first time ever, from beginning to end, last summer, Inglorious Bastards, and Brad Pitt is just so good in that movie. I so love it. good. But I'd be lying to myself if I picked that one. Ocean's Eleven to me, like yeah. that was like the first I know. cool movie I saw as a kid. That I was like, whoa, Any movie movies can be way better than these kids' yeah. movies I've been watching this yeah. whole time. Like they can actually be really fun and interesting. My dad showed me Ocean's Eleven, and and then we like. When Ocean's 12 came out, we made sure we saw it together. When Ocean's 13 came out, we made sure we saw it together. And and a lot of people were like, ah, they got bad. And I was like, I loved it. I liked them. I loved every single one. I own all four because I actually own the original oh, Ocean's the OG, Eleven. Frank it was Sinatra. a it was a four one of those Walmart like four movie collections Classic for five bucks. Well, being like, I'm losing money if I don't buy yeah. this. Oh, uh, duh. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I saw Ocean 13 with Rick Westerholm. Back in like God, it must have been 2007. I now, think. No, I would say uh, a close second for me is just because I love the appreciation of it. Is Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Oh, okay, I've never seen it. So it's with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Right. Actually, the movie that made yes. them start dating after Jennifer Aniston. It well, was kind of that. After, it was during. Yeah, it was kind of that yeah. rough time. But it was Sorry, such man. a great movie. I actually own it, Nick, on DVD. You should borrow it from me. Yeah. It's just so action packed. And it's consistently like in the zone. You're you're just they're fighting against each other the whole time. It's a great flick to watch, but no, I mean it's got a number one Ocean's Eleven, Brad Pitt right there. Yeah. And there we go. We just posted that to the Boylan Ross <laughs> podcast on Instagram. Please follow us. Um, yeah, we love we just so I think that pretty much covers what we wanted to get. Thank you so much for submitting your answers on Twitter, guys. Yeah. I have to be in our podcast on Twitter. We really appreciate that. So stuff. scores. What yeah. do you think? Once oh, upon yeah, a time in Hollywood. What final time, scores. Final score. So I feel like some Tarantino movies, uh, I see them, and then like years go by and I realize I liked them more, I liked them less. I haven't seen Django Unchained since I saw it in theaters, but I really liked it in theaters. I know. I really like Inglourious Bastards, but I've only liked it more over the years. I know. Uh, I just rewatched again Reservoir Dogs right before I came and saw oh, this. Oh, I own that movie. So I rewatched it for the first time in a few years. And that movie's it's it's amazing that 
that person who directed that movie is the same person who directed this movie. I know. Which is crazy to think. But um, I enjoyed this one way more than Reservoir Dogs, but I can admit that Reservoir Dogs is probably a better movie just because of how it's... It kind of set the template for movies in the 90s. Yeah. I can't give a rating right now. Uh, I will. Maybe you can talk one out and give one. I think I have a number in my head. I'm I'm in a tough spot because I thought it was a I thought it was a really good movie. Um I really enjoyed it. But again, I mean, you're talking though about not taking this movie for what it is and ranking it against the other Quarantino, the Quentin Tarantino movies. Right. So it's kinda hard, like you have to I feel like take your own advice and put think about this movie's grade. And then if you want to grade it in terms, like we could do another episode another time and just add on like are Quentin Tarantino's movies ranked? Because I think that'd be fun. Yeah. But I don't think when you think about this movie, you have to take this movie for what it is. Because in terms of the other movies, it's not going to stand out the same way. Right. It is good. But like you said, you wouldn't suggest people to come see us to the theaters. Because maybe a Tuesday movie? Well, well, you say that, Boyle. You know what's funny? is Almost everyone in my office has seen this movie before I have. And no one in my office normally goes sees movies. Really? We have uh, Keegan, who's a a cheerleader on our team who I didn't know liked movies at all and just came to my office the Friday that it came out, meaning she saw it on Thursday, I believe. Wow. Yeah, she saw it on Thursday. And I was like, Nick, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? And I was like, the movie that came out 12 hours ago? <laughs> uh, you beat me? No. And she's like, yeah, I liked it. It was really good. I liked it. I was like, I was like, what? Wow. I was like, I was like if you like it, then I probably will really yeah. like it. And uh, shout out to Christian Bates. In my office, who saw it a few days ago, he said it was very Tarantino being extra Tarantino. Mm. My guy Dave Hughes and uh, his roommate Austin, they saw it yesterday. Yeah. He texted me immediately. He liked it. And now Dave Hughes and Christian, uh, they're movie fans in my office. But this is like Cara Priolo we were with the other day said she really wants to see this movie. So for whatever reason, actually, we know the reason. We know the It's reason. Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. How could, how could you not want to see this the movie? The people who aren't really big into movies see the stars and are really want to see it. The people yes. who are really into movies see the writer and director and want to see like, it. Ooh, so, and that's a bonus. So, so yeah, so after. this one made $41 million in its opening weekend. Wow. And for an R-rated movie, I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the budget was for it, but man, it, this is a movie that I'm really going to have to think it, about. To I, me, it just... I, I I'm think leaning towards a strong, strong seven is what so I'm leaning that's towards. Kind of, so my thought was is that I don't know when the next time I'm going to sit and watch it again. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I would like to watch this again. The, the but I just don't know now, when I will. What I'll I say to you is Tar- on me. And but isn't that funny? Like Tarant- I bet you so many people see Tarantino movies and go, mm, not as good as the last one. Like and again, we're saying this is good. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it's like, man, I don't know if I'm ever gonna commit to seeing this again. It's a long one. And then People just revisit Tarantino movies all the time. It happens. How so can you not? I definitely but will probably see this I'm going to say... I'm looking forward to the next time I see this movie yeah. and just oh, coming, you coming know into different happening. scenes. And, yeah. yeah you, so you're expecting what's going to happen, so now you're going to appreciate more of the movie itself. I'm going to go with a 7. I am going to go yeah. with a 7 out of 10. Um, I just think that it's it, it can't gain more for me. Um, yeah. But I did truly appreciate this If you're going to go see this in theaters... It's, it's good. If you're going to see this in theaters, stick with it. Read a, read about the Manson family before. Yeah, know what you're getting it. yourself into. Yeah, no, just know going in that the first two thirds of this movie are going to be very slowly paced, and the and end it's going to be very R. Yes, <laughs> very R. It's going to be a lot more about the the characters interacting amongst each other. Dude, um, I was hooting and hollering, and I was jumping out of my seat for that end scene, man. 
It was crazy. Crazy. And not many people do that. A lot of people were cringing and like turning their heads, but I was like, I, yeah! I, well, it was <laughs> like, there's like roars in our off uh, office, in our theater. And dude, I can't, I don't want to give anything away. But man, dude, how tense were some of the scenes in this movie? Tarantino, yeah. man, he knows how to build. Because if you because if too. you know the history, of, the real history of this movie, not this movie, the real history of the story, of the events of the events, you knew you are, something bad. You are coming. so nervous because yes. you're like, this is gonna be bad. Something like I was getting so nervous. So, so I think that that's why the ending's so enjoyable. Yeah, this movie, man, I really liked it. I think one day maybe I'll come to appreciate this movie even more and, yeah. and give it, boost it up a level. Yeah, it's a seven out of ten right now. Me too. But um, it'll it might get to an eight someday. Yeah. I man, really liked it though. I want to say Tarantino. I, I, I really like his movies. Now man. moving on from this movie, I, I want to the go back of the summer for me. to uh, the Lion King. Um, the Lion King we what? recently reviewed, and I just wanted to bring oh, up yeah. that I had given it a soft eight the last time we saw. Mm, yeah, and a very floppy eight. Yeah, because <laughs> only because like I just found that like. Again, you know what it was? It came back to me with our with our talk about the um, nostalgia behind it and just how much it meant to me as a kid growing up. So I felt that I was way more in tune with the movie and very excited for the movie. Yeah. Um, and so I still appreciate it because it was a big part of my childhood as well. But in the same sense, you know, the more it sat and, and the more... Um, it didn't have to do with other people's reviews and other people's thoughts because that doesn't affect me with my thoughts going into a movie. Um, I just, the way it sat on, in me, sat with me more, I was like, you know what? I'm still going to keep the round up to an eight, but I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of ten kernels um, and knock it down a half a point. Only because the more reviews I read, the more I thought about the movie, I really only took away loving Timon and Pumbaa. And... Um, and uh, Zazu, and, and, and who played them, and I thought that they did a good record, but like, yeah. certain things weren't unique enough, and... Um, For me, it was the lack of, of I, this is such a weird word to use, but the lack of whimsy in this version of it kind of like took away. It almost, yeah. it's one of those things though, where if the cartoon didn't exist, you'd be like, wow, very well made movie. Yeah. But the fact that I have the cartoon, like, it just took away from it a little. Now, I want to give you... It just showed you how like kind of thin this movie is. I want to give you, the fans, and you, Rojas, 10 fun facts about The Lion King to finish off this episode. Okay. Weird comeback to this, but I meant to mention in the last podcast, and I didn't. You're more than welcome to do that. Number one, The Lion King is considered Disney's first animated feature to have an original plot not adapted from an existing storyline or fairy tale. It bears similarity to, but is not directly adapted from, Hamlet. Fun fact. Fun fact number two, in early development, Rafiki was actually a cheetah, and Scar was the leader of baboons waging a war with the lions, temporarily titled King of the Beasts, and later, briefly, King of the Jungle. The film was considered a lower priority title than Pocahontas. Now, that one I thought was really cool because that would be a fun movie. Maybe they could have done that with this Lion King and switched things way up. I don't know. Yeah, you know what, though? Why not? Why not? So, uh, number three. Elton John declined twice before accepting the job of writing the film songs with lyricist Tim Rice. The gig was previously offered to Benny Anderson and, jo and uh, I'm never, I never say his name right, Bjorn Yulvaeus of ABBA. Bjorn? 
is it Bjorn? Bjorn. Bjorn. As well as Paul McCartney were also offered it by Elton John. Uh, Finally took it. Number four, real life friends Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella were starring together on Broadway in Guys and Dolls when they auditioned to play the hyenas. They read together and and they were subsequently casted as Timon and Pumbaa, characters they had never even heard of. Cool. They wanted to be the yeah, and I never knew who the voice of Pumbaa was, but they they were nails in that. Number five, after learning that the ballad, after learning that the ballad "Can You Feel the Love Tonight" was cut from one of the final screenings of the movie, John insisted that the Disney chairman Jeffrey Kattensburg put the song back in, and it won an Oscar an Oscar a year later. It's one of the more iconic Elton John songs of all time. Number six, upset at the film's portrayal of hyenas as villainous. Uh, scavengers, a hyena biologist reportedly sued Disney for defam- defamation. 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 I can't read tonight. It's all good, man. Defamation of the species. Number seven, over the course of 9,000 performances, the Pride Rock set piece in the Broadway production of The Lion King has rotated 603 miles. Wow. Because of how, where it goes? Yeah. Number eight, the 1997 stage musical is the single highest grossing entertainment property ever created, earning over $8 billion globally, more than the combined grosses of all eight main Star Wars movies, or all four Avenger movies, or all eight Harry Potter movies. That's wild. I mean, people love that movie. Sorry, I I said there were ten facts, but there's only nine. Number nine, director Jon Favreau's 2019 adaptation is the first feature-length movie to be photographed entirely in virtual production, a method of filmmaking in which animation is loaded into a video game-like set in virtual reality and then filmed. I don't even know what that even means, but you know what? (laughs) I'll find out eventually. That's one of those things where in 10 years we'll be like, uh, duh. Nick. Basically, they just means that they simulated this into a video game style and then they pro- produced it from there in a sense, I guess, is what I took from that. We'll follow the show on Twitter. Well, thank you for those facts, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you. Really painting a picture. That was for the cartoon again. Want to reiterate. Yes, that was for the old 1994 version. version. Yes. Which is awesome, which we yeah. still love. Yeah. Uh, well, hence, sh- hence our scores. <laughs> exactly. I know. Clearly, we're holding yeah. on to it. But again, it's going to be the kids who are like three years old and saw this movie, this is going to be their favorite Lion King. Of course. So that's that's just how it works. And we got to get used to that. Uh, follow the show on Twitter, at the BNR Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, the Boyle and Ross Podcast, oboyle92, yep. at Rojo36. Ladies, what are your ra- what's your ratings <laughs> on the Fisher scale, 1 to 10, of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes, well I did. Done. I'm not going to give away my thing. What you guys think? I'm not, no, you've got to listen to the show to find out. Out of 10, Jules Coco. Actually, you didn't really give an official score. I did. Kind of. Oh, yeah. I said right now it's this. But it could Years from now it could be, yeah, different. Michaela, what do you think? Okay, this is the first time I'm doing this. I'm going to sit on it because I want to wait and see it again or just, you know, process it and read more about it. I'm not scoring it yet. Michaela, high five. I did the same exact Nick thing, except, same I'll, except yeah. I said this is the number that I'll, because I have to give a he number. Gave a, he gave a half number out there and just threw it out well, there. Well, I didn't say blank and a half. No. I just said this no, is my number. No, he's like, all right, this is my number, but it's probably going to change. change. Because I yeah. agree with you. We, we honestly drive home after all these times the four of us go to the movies, sometimes five of Marcus here. And when I get, like, on our way home, like, we always talk about it. And it'll be the next day and we talk about it again. And it's like, 
I don't know though. And like, so I changed my score from Lion King from eight to a seven and a half. Catch you up. But okay. um, just basically, we were talking about how that your score can change and can grow on your own change. And you know, most podcasts will wait a day or two, whereas we're a hot take. We come right out, share our feelings, and like for better for worse, that's what our that's what our podcast is. <laughs> like this movie ended, and I looked at Boyle, and I and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I was like, "I am so disappointed." Yeah. And he was like, really? And I was like, yes, like that's not what I was expecting. I love, love, love Quentin Tarantino movies. He's my favorite. And I was just like, oh, and then I like went and I just, I cooled down. I read that article, the Rojas Santos, and I was like, oh, all right. Like, yeah, like you almost like, I feel like now that you've read that article, we'll probably. Right. Think I about need it. I to more. see it again, though. But I have to before I give it a score. See, and I said I don't know the next time I'll see it again. Like maybe when it comes out on DVD, I'll give it a shot. But I don't know. I feel like we have so much, so much we always want to see and catch up on. It's you hard say to that, even and, do. and in this but last well, week, I've rewatched Pulp Fiction and I rewatched Reservoir Dogs. Something about his movies. I just, I know, I've still have never I seen know. the Kill Bill movies. I've never seen Jackie Brown. We just rewatched Pulp Fiction. I have Fiction. to watch Hateful. Movie. I have to watch Hateful Eight. And you I have, have to. Oh my god, he amazing. Uh, I still haven't seen. And do seen... the extended cut, which is weird. Netflix now has the movie right now, mm-hmm. unrated, and then they have the extended. They call it, but they've just separated it into f- the four chunks. No, in his movies, he does the titles, which in this movie he didn't. But he did. Uh, he mm. didn't. Did he? No, he did not. He, he did, did not. not. He only did times. So technically, he did titles with time, actually. So yes, actually, we have to give that to him because yes, I think dates and time. he did dates yep. and times. He loves um, having text on on the screen in his movies. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. love that. I also can fully appreciate. I do need to bring this back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I love the font is the same font from most of his other movies. Oh yeah, it's all that same style font, same color. Same artistic, like when they were sitting the first scene, sitting in the car. They also had the names of the actors behind the opposite actor. Love that. Like, love stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, just, no, you um, did. you were like, I'm oh, in. dude, those little like quirks, you know me, that's the, that like behind the scenes stuff I love to do, do. So, that was fun. Julia, you want to give a reading real quick? You going to read that article eventually? Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it out there. If you don't want to give a number, you don't have to give a number. It's the movie of no numbers. I guess for now. It may be low, but I don't know. Like a six and a half, seven. Six and a half. Okay. okay. All right. They didn't hear what our scores were. So. I yeah. Know. I like that. All right. No all right. one heard any scores. All right. So that'll be all. Boyle? Ciao. It's Cookie, Kristen, and Austin. And here we are. We just saw what movie, Kristen? Once Upon a Time. Okay. I'm going to hand this over to Austin. He's going to give his review. Then Kristen, then me. Yeah. So it was a pretty solid movie. I, I would say it's like... Tarantino's first true comedy, where it was almost like the intent was to make you laugh, I think, more than anything else, than any of the other movies. Um, I think there's definitely, I can see the scene now that Leo gets nominated for, for an Academy Award. But he was great. He was hilarious. Him and Brad Pitt, that dynamic was pretty funny. Um, all in all, it was probably like a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, really solid, entertaining movie. Kind of just what you want in the summertime. You don't want, you know, you don't want those heavy Oscar pictures right now. Having a good time in the summer is a good summer movie. But made, you know, really well. You know, what Tarantino does is he takes, like, you know, an old 1960s TV, dusts it off, slaps it a couple times, and a lot of the shots and things that he did were all, you know, very retro. And I don't know, they ended up still being fresh and nostalgic. I agree 100%. It was one of those weird movies because it took a lot of work to make that movie look in age. So 
Kristen, I know you had some issues with this, though. Yeah. No, I, I, it, I will say that it, it was unique uh, in that it had a different perspective. Um, like you guys were saying, it took you in a different direction than you may have thought. Um, I always forget when parents, you know, it is violent, and I have a tough time watching it on screen, uh, especially that close. Uh, buy your tickets early. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, you guys see the, the trailers for it. There's a little bit of the Manson family in it. Um, I remember the story growing up. Not a huge fan of hearing the story or seeing it. Um, so I had to kind of grapple with that. I mean, I, I know the story, and it was, I was, you know, it's, very sad and very tragic. I, I like what Tarantino did with this movie. One of the things that I enjoy about his movies is trying to see where his regulars show up. Like, where do they pop up? You know what I mean? People he's used in so many movies. But it was also kind of cool to see some new, younger actors in, in his movies. And like I said, when Austin did this review, the way he was able to make it look and feel like it was Awesome. Good movie. Uh, great performance, I think, by by Leonardo DiCaprio. 7.5 for me, 7.5 from Austin. Kristen? I'll give it a 7. 7. Right. You know, it was well acted. Yeah, very well acted. Very well done. And that's it from here, uh, from uh, Metri, Louisiana. Take care.